Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bring, bring it fast. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Smith. Here to talk about Burnley. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sports. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back on. It's Jay from the Eagles Beak and from the Meridian Sports Show. Uh, you can get me at the Eagles Beak or at the Meridian SS on Twitter all socials, all, all channels, Instagram, Facebook, and, and the like. So, uh, yeah, hit us there. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. My name's uh, Thomas. Uh, I run a website called wolvesblog.com, which is unsurprisingly dedicated to all things Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, yeah, you can get me on Twitter at wolvesblog or at facebook.com forward slash wolvesblog. All right, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, I figure we'll start off with a fairly monumentous thing that both touches on the FA Cup, which of course is happening this weekend, and the Premier League. Uh, After years of debate and discussion, some of which occurred on this very show, the Premier League will be implementing concussion substitutions by the end of the month, the FA Cup by the fifth round as part of a trial run run by IFAB. Uh, So I just wanted to get your guys' initial takes. We've talked about it a lot. Are, Are we feeling happy that this has finally come around? Yeah, I think this is a really positive move. Um, I think I was on the show a few weeks ago when we were talking about this. I don't know what what it is about me that reminds Kev about brain injuries, but he always <laughs> seems to back me on to talk about concussion. Very tasteless. Um, yeah, I think this is something that probably all sports, not just football, have needed to really get a grip of. Um, I think there's been some, some high-profile cases where it's been just clearly wrong that players have been able to continue. It's not been safe. Um, we had a case at Burnley a couple of months ago now that I mentioned when I was on the show before, Nick Pope got a whack in the head while he was making a save. And they did all the assessments on the pitch. It was clear to carry on. It was near the end of the game anyway, which was probably a factor, even though it shouldn't have been. Um, but even just watching it on TV, it didn't look quite right. Um, luckily, nothing happened after that, but he missed the next game. And the club didn't even confirm that it was concussion because obviously if you then say he had concussion, the question is why was he not taken off? So I think it is a good thing. I think um, it will be telling whether or not we see clubs use it regularly Um, because at the moment you can say, well, clubs are avoiding doing it because they don't want to use a substitution on something that may or may not be a concussion. I think if they've got this sort of free substitution Hopefully, managers will be a lot more willing to to use it. I'd actually like to see it taken out of their hands. Maybe there could mm. be a sort of independent head doctor um, at Premier League grounds for all games, and they take control of it, and they do the tests, and they decide whether or not the player is fit to continue. Um, I think if you have club staff doing it, I'm not saying that they're not going to do their job properly, but there's obviously going to be some bias 
we've seen incidents before where managers have put pressure on um, doctors and physios. So I think taking that out of control would be good. Um, and hopefully we won't see anyone trying to game the system in any way, having players staggering around pretending to have a concussion so they can make a substitution. I think that would be uh, very bad, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, yeah, um, I think overdue, a good move, um, and looking forward to seeing how it all plays out, really. I think there's been a lot of um, research recently about dementia in ex-footballers, sportsmen who are involved in this sort of high contact, heading footballs, all this kind of thing. So anything that we can do to reduce the risk of, of people suffering from this kind of thing is a good thing in my book. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Jamie said there, to be quite honest. My only question is, why has it taken so long to implement? Uh, I'm sure Thomas is going to talk about the, the more recent case of uh, Raul Jimenez at Wolves, which was an absolutely shocking injury. And we've had them before, but nothing has actually been done. Nothing's been brought in. Now, the NFL's learned the hard way. Um, you know, as we know, we're, you know, most of us are NFL fans. We follow the sport. And I'd like to see us, you see the Premier League or football as, as a whole, bring in the scenario that they have is that they have an independent doctor verifying the concussion outside the pitch because I worry that it's open to interpretation. You know, managers are pressurising their own staff, their own uh, medical staff and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying it would happen, but, you know, this is, you know, there's there's money in the Premier League, as we know. Um, and, you know, a lot a lot of the time it's winning at all costs. And we, we've seen that an awful lot when there's so much finance available to be gained from certain decisions that might be made. Um, I remember very well the, uh, the Nick Pope incident because that was against Palace uh, very late on in the game and he had a lot of treatment in that game and surprised to see him carry on because he just didn't look with us, in, in, you know, at all. And, you know, that that in itself, you know, the end of the game, yeah, you can kind of get it, but it shouldn't it, it shouldn't be happening. We, we've had so many so many incidents in, in the past, you know, the, the Jeff Astle campaign is, uh, which you guys are probably well aware of, and hopefully the listeners know too, that um, uh, is is relating to Jeff Astle, who passed away through early onset, onset dementia. Um, and, uh, you know, the campaign is run by his daughter. And she's, she's you know, she's very knowledgeable about the subject and she's been campaigning for years on the subject. And it's good to see her get a bit more exposure and her sharing her views and her her actual foundation, um, the work's being done in the background. And finally, something's actually happening. Um, it seemed to have been like on deaf ears for some time. But um, as I say, the Premier, uh, sorry, the NFL learned the hard way uh, through billions of dollar lawsuits and, and this, that and the other, and it, and it forced them down that route. You know, it's taken the Premier League far too long to actually admit that there is a problem um, and, and more needs to be done, I think. You know, hopefully what's going to be introduced is going to be positive. Um, but, you know, at the forefront, there's got to be a concern for the welfare of, of footballers out there, um, no matter what the decision, whether, whether it whether it weakens your team or not. It's got to be, um, uh, you know, it's got to be the player's health um, first and foremost. And, you know, we've seen more recently Nobby Styles and, you know, there's other people... Um, former footballers that come forward but it's it's not just football it seems to be a big thing in this country now rugby is at it as well um in terms of ed- trying to address the situation a lot of rugby players former rugby players have come forward and said that they've suffered um you know uh, do- uh, early onset dementia which is what we mentioned nfl players and, and obviously sadly footballers as well have suffered so 
you know, it's it's a massive thing. Uh, and cricket as well. Cricket has also, um, you know, had its had its problems in that area as well. So it's, you know, whether it's something that you know, different sports have tried to kind of, you know, brush under the carpet. Hopefully, it's something that's going to finally be addressed and addressed properly. I just hope the right protocols are in place to ensure that the players' welfare is first and foremost. Which is, uh, but it's a, it's a good it's a good step. Um, no matter how long it's taken, it, it's it's a good step, and hopefully, it can evolve from here. Yeah, I think I would just um, I'd just be echoing what what the guys have just just said. Um, I think head injuries in football. And the response from teams is just going to be more and more under the microscope um, than it's ever been. And I'd go as far as to say, I think there's going to be changes in the years to come, maybe even rules about what you can and how you can and can't head the ball and challenge for the ball in the air, because I think it's that that serious an issue. Um, It can fundamentally change the whole game. But on the issue of concussion substitutes, yes, obviously it's a good thing. I don't think anyone would be against it. Um, The injury to Raul Jimenez at Arsenal was horrendous, but you know he got treatment. He was taken off. You know it was it was so bad there was there was nothing to discuss. But David Luiz carried on in that game, and he he had blood pouring out of his head. He 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 was not he was not present. You know as the guys just said, Jay said about you know Pope at, at Palace. He, he you could just see it in his eyes. You know I think Wolves even scored a goal where he he came off and said he he wasn't prepared to you know challenge for the ball. It was ridiculous. So. Clubs aren't managing it. Um, I agree with what the guys say. It needs to be taken out of their hands. Um, and I think an independent uh, analysis is the order of the day. The problem is that it will 100% be gamed. If it's just the, the club's team doctor coming on and saying this guy's got a head injury, that's just how football works. It, it, it's cutthroat. Any advantage that can be taken, you know, any gamesmanship that clubs can employ, it's going to be happening, you know. They already do it with time wasting, faking injuries, running down the clock. It's just rife. So, so yeah. Ultimately, I think it should be independent. But um, you know, but yes, in the short term, we just have to view it as as nothing but a positive. Yeah, there have been so many uh, cases you could just rattle through a, a whole list of, of the times when we've clearly seen concussions on the pitch and. They've just been left out there either because they wanted to and they thought they had to like prove they were manly enough to not have a head injury or their managers needed them to stay on because they either didn't have a sub ready or the drop off in quality of the next person. It it just really helps to remove that that aspect from it. Jamie did mention that he doesn't think that this will be taken advantage of. Certainly hope that's the case. If it does, though, to a low degree, is it still worth it in exchange for the, the safety of the players? I think... I think so, yeah. And I think it's the sort of thing that will be assessed on an ongoing basis. And if it looks like clubs are taking the mickey, then they'll change it somehow. Um, I don't know how you would do that, but I think they'll have to bring it in initially, see how it works, and then tweak it. I don't think it's going to be perfect straight away. Nothing is when whenever you have a significant change to the, the laws of the game. So... Um, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a gradual process. I think we will see an end to, um, like one of the guys just said about players playing on with like blood streaming down the face. We've seen like iconic images from English football where that's been the case, like um, Paul Ince and Terry Butcher, where it's been like seen as a very British bulldog thing to carry on when you're clearly in an absolute state. So hopefully we'll we'll see the end of that. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think the the element of teams or managers trying to take advantage of the situation would be minimal. I'm pretty sure it'd be minimal. I think, you know, they've got to have a particular conscience about this and actually something that's being brought into the game to, to help their players. But like Thomas said, you know, there's a lot of things that go on during a game, you know, time wasting, feigning injury, that kind of stuff. It does worry me from that perspective that, you know, there will be opportunities for this particular protocol to be taken advantage of by by certain teams. I'm not saying all teams will do it. You know, a lot of teams are, are probably too honest, but there are elements which worry me as long as the right protocols are in place and it's done properly. But I think there has to be some kind of independency in there somewhere that it's not the club doctor, it's not the club physio take, you know, taking the decision out of the manager's hands because... Ultimately, who's you know who's going to be stronger at the, the club doctor or, or physio over the manager? You know, manager's jobs at stake. Um, you'd like to think that they have the, like I mentioned, the players' welfare at heart. You know, throughout. But yeah, that that is a concern of mine, and it would be minimal. I'm I'm pretty sure of it. But um, but there is that that slight concern, and that, like I say, there's got to be an element of independency in there to actually try and ensure that that doesn't happen. I think as well, it, it's how it changes variables within a game. Because my understanding of the rule is, and you can correct me if this is actually wrong, I, I just heard it somewhere, that when a con- there's a concussion substitute is made, the other team also get one additional change. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if we imagine a world where, you know, it's Tottenham versus Liverpool and, you know, both teams have made three subs and then Harry Kane gets a... Uh, a head injury, and you know, and he he has to go off, and then Jurgen Klopp uses an additional substitute then to bring Mo Salah on, who scores the winning goal. It's it's something doesn't sit right about that, you know. That mm. Harry Kane's clutching his head, got blood pouring down his head, and uh, <laughs> Liverpool are able to profit from that by sending someone on. So I think it's just there will this, you know, there's going to be stuff fallout from this, because um, you know you make any change to a, to a variable in football inevitably these things come up and, and, and then it becomes discussed. So it will change the dynamic. Um, you just hope, like you say, that it, that it's the net result is, is beneficial. And, the, and even if there is some of that gamesmanship, as you rightly point out, Kev, the most important thing is the, the welfare of the, of the players. But it, will, it just will be, it will be very interesting. Yeah, I agree. I'm waiting for what the first big moment will be where it becomes controversial because it always happens when a rule changes, as you just said. Um, so when will people freak out? And what happens in the in the reverse situation? Say a club has a less established or, or less talented player than Harry Kane. I'm not saying that, you know, there are players out there that aren't better than him. Um, but uh, And then if you're a bigger club and you lose one of your less important players, the other side gets a substitution, but they don't have the bench depth for that, you know, fourth sub to still be, you know, as impactful as a Mosala in your example as well. So this could be another thing, just like the extended benches, where it helps the bigger clubs more than it helps the smaller clubs, because the options off the bench are likely inherently stronger. So I think we'll see that also. Jay, totally get your point that some people are going to try to take advantage more than others. And I'm a little bit worried that Jose is one of those people. Like, are we going to see Eric Lamella, like, two-foot somebody, get away with it, and then start stumbling himself, and then activate one of the subs? If you were going to do odds on which manager was the first to try and game the system, Mm -hmm. it's going to be Jose and Sam Allardyce. (laughs) Big gap, 18 other managers. yeah, Yeah, they will already have staff working on their concussion protocol plans. Somebody, like, in the data team. 
yeah, yeah. exactly. There'll be a big binder yeah. in Sam Allardyce's office where he's working out how he's going to get the edge up. This is the guy who um, brought in players standing in front of the goalkeeper from from free kicks, thinking that that <laughs> yeah. was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. definitely going to find a way to try and get around that. Yeah. One point I would actually add is that they need to look at, um, you know, this, the heading of the ball and head injury issue at youth level all the way up. I, I think America, is it the US already do it uh, for youth football is that yeah. they can't head a ball from a certain, you know, under a certain age. And I think, you know, something like that in this country has got to be, I mean, I think it'd be more beneficial because they'll end up playing the ball on the floor a lot more and kids would be better with their feet. But I'm not saying, you know, youth football is all about, you know, punting the ball in the air and heading it, but actually taking that that element out of it, you know, at a young age, to, you know, I, you know, from first day course of stuff down the past, you know, the the you know, the younger you are, the the more that you know damage you can make to the brain just by, you know, a, a simple knock to the head, you know, for you know, because it's still developing and that kind of stuff. So I think the US have it have it right, and it's something that we need to look at in this country. Um, and kind of eliminate that from an early age, and 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 obviously bring it, you know, bring it in perhaps later in, uh, you know, in in youth football. But actually, you know, that that could create all sorts of things because kids would grow up not knowing how to head a ball. But obviously, you know, you got you got to think about their health first, and and that and that kind of scenario. So yeah, I think the US do 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 it right at the moment, and and it's something we could probably follow up on. It's a really interesting point. It actually reminds me of um, when you play baseball as a kid here in the states growing up. If you're a pitcher, you aren't allowed to throw a curveball. It's like really mm-hmm. bad for your arm while you're developing. Do some coaches still teach it? Of course, but it's just like generally agreed upon. That's a thing you shouldn't yeah. do. Even if it just reached that point where it's not like illegal, but it's just like mm-hmm. you don't coach that side up as much until they're bigger or, or fully developed. Uh, yeah. Less chance for brain jostling early in life. Mm-hmm. I, I think that could be a good thing if, if just like that, if it's stigmatized a little bit of like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. I think that that would be an easy first step. Same thing with um, spearing in in American football, where when I played football, you got taught to hit people with the crown of your head. Turns out that's super terrible and is now a penalty at every level of NFL or every level of American football. And now you have to lead with the shoulder and head to head is a penalty. So uh, that's shocking to me. Like tackling with the head seems perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. I, I well, you're it, it's in a way. helmet, so you're safe. Exactly. Why? <laughs> Why bother wearing a helmet if that doesn't completely protect you? It's a really good point. And actually, uh, less jokingly, it's why Australian rules football is actually safer than American football. It's because without a giant thing on your head that you think is protecting you, you lead with it a lot less. Um, so there wind up being fewer concussions. But we can talk about that as long as the day is long. That's not how that phrase goes, but we'll move on quickly. <laughs> Talking a little bit more about the FA Cup, we just alluded to it earlier. This, the concussion stuff is going to come into play in the next round of the FA Cup as well. Uh, but this round is just about in the books. There are three matches left as we record. Uh, thus far, who do you think has had the most surprising result? And were any of the teams particularly impressive or disappointing to you? Yeah, well, um, I'll try and future-proof the podcast. So, really impressed with Wickham knocking out Spurs on Monday night. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Um, no, I think um, it doesn't seem like there's been a big shock yet this weekend. So hopefully it is still to come. And um, that would be the obvious one, wouldn't it? If Wickham beat Spurs, that would be huge. Um, I didn't actually see the Friday night game, but Chorley only losing 1 0 to Wolves, the mm. cup run that they've had. That's a fantastic effort. I was otherwise engaged doing a Zoom quiz to try and fill the lockdown day. So <laughs> I missed that game. But. Um, 
Surely we've had such a fantastic run. Great story for a non-league club to go so far when the non-league game is under such threat in this country at the moment. Um, I think they've just paused National League North and South for two weeks um, in a bid to try and get control over the rising cases and stuff. But it, it seems to me that that's going to be a precursor to just ending the season, mm. um, similar to what happened last year. So... Clubs like Chorley are in a really bad position now. This cup run might save Chorley, and there's going to be clubs like Chorley go to the wall. So I think it's really important to flag that one up. Um, I saw a bit of Cheltenham against Man City. He turned it on just as Phil Ford and equalised, so that's entirely my fault. I think <laughs> Cheltenham was certainly going to win that game, and so I decided I was going to watch the end of it. Um, so, yeah, I feel bad for that as well, because their manager, Michael Duff, was at Burnley for a decade and one of our greatest ever signings. So... It's a real shame they couldn't complete the job, but they seem to get a lot of plaudits out of that one as well. And similarly, Luton were very impressive against Chelsea and what I saw in that game, but Chelsea's quality just um, proved a bit too much in the end. Luton had a massive chance at 2-1 down. Um, and I was comparing it because I'd written a thing about cup shocks last week, actually, and Chelsea Bradford was one of the ones in my article. And Chelsea went 2-0 up in that game when Mourinho was in charge and managed to lose 4-2. So when they went 2-0 up and Luton got one back, I was like, this this is it. This is going to be the thing again. And then they missed the yeah. chance at 2-1 and Chelsea wrapped it up at the end. So, yeah, I think Luton were, were pretty good. Um, but, yeah, sadly, no big shots yet. So hopefully still to come. Yeah, just reiterate what uh, Jamie said there. Chorley was, is a fantastic story this year, you know, particularly in a season where we haven't had fans at games. And I think that's probably the downside to a non-league club getting so far is that they haven't had their fans there to be able to see it, which which must be really galling for them. Um, it, it, you know, it's bad enough watching it from our perspective. We love a, we love a non-league story in the FA Cup and, um, and, and they are ripped this season. They've been fantastic. It's good to see that they've, you know, made a bit of money to hopefully save them from going to war because the non-league uh, pyramid is in turmoil at the moment, you know, because of, for obvious reasons. And it's, it's a real shame, you know, a lot of local clubs in my area aren't, aren't playing at the moment, haven't been for some time um, and really struggling. And I, I'm, I'm really concerned that we're going to lose, you know, lose some some football clubs on a pyramid, which would be a travesty. Um, but surely is one shining light, uh, seeing them, you know, go toe to toe walls, you know, one screamer of a goal. And, you know, that, that ended up being a difference. And you know, surely had their chances, so did Wolves, you know, their chances to, um, to add to the scoreline, but I, you know, I think it was a, you know, it's a well, it's a typical FA Cup tie and on league ground, and it's just, just such a shame that we don't have fans there to see it. Um, I think Jamie's right. There's been no particular shocks this weekend. I think one that sticks out for me uh, in terms of result when it's gone under the radar a little bit. Barnsley beating Norwich, Norwich flying high in the Championship. Barnsley doing some great things at the moment. They've been putting some results together. Um, and actually, their their manager is a former Palace defender, Valerian Ishmael, that we signed from uh, Strasbourg a number of years ago. Far too young to come to this country and ended up playing for Bayern Munich. Uh, didn't really settle in this country, but ended up uh, doing okay in his career. And he's managing a Barnsley and um, and getting him into some sort of shape. And that's a real, really good result for them. Um, I think the big game for me is I don't live too far away from Crawley Town, and that's on Tuesday evening. And they play um, they play their game against AFC Bournemouth, um, which obviously. Crawley had their day in the last round, knocking out Leeds United very, very convincingly as well in the last round. Um, and I'm hoping that they can uh, they can do a bit more, um, having not played uh, for for a fair. Well, I think it's probably about ten days now they haven't played for by the time they play this game on Tuesday. Um, I'm just hoping that they uh, 
they, uh, yeah, put on a performance against Bournemouth. Be really interesting. Um, and obviously, Wickham against Tottenham tomorrow night. You know, you can only um, you know, speculate. You know, but hopefully, those two games are going to be good to go to, to enjoy the next couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think there's been any any real shocks. The United Liverpool game was pretty good today. There's some goals in a in a in a big matchup for a change, which is, which is surprising. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, the 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 good story is a jolly one. Obviously, they've gone out uh, to Wolves, but um, but it's been really enjoyable seeing seeing them, and obviously, um, you know, not playing football week in week out as well, which uh, I think makes it makes it even more of a story. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Um... I don't know whether Jay was being magnanimous there because uh, he knew there was a Wolves fan on the, uh, the podcast, <laughs> but uh, they, they completely outplayed us, uh, surely. This is, a, this is a team in the sixth tier of English football, mm. I believe I'm right in saying, and uh, we, we were terrible. Yeah, we scored a worldie, um, and for the first half, we did what a lot of Premier League teams do, and they knock the ball side to side because they've got the goal and they control it. Fair enough, I was happy enough with that. Um, second half, they completely dominated the game. They they were tactically better than us. They moved the ball better. They created chances. They they were so unlucky to lose that game. Um, you know, so you know, hats off to them. I'm not gonna, you know, maybe I'll labour on the points about Wolves later. But um, but yeah, to echo what the guy's saying, that was probably the story of the the weekend. Um, on a on a personal level, I don't know whether it is the COVID environment and lockdown in general, but I just got more of an appetite for the FA Cup this year. I don't know why that is. Normally, I'd kind of be quite dismissive of it. I don't really, don't really follow too many of the games. You know, look at what's going on elsewhere. But you know, so I think maybe, maybe it's just me. But I feel maybe that the FA Cup could be a competition that kind of benefits in a way, not in the sense that you can get crowds in and the lower league teams can benefit, but for the general appetite of the competition. I don't know. I might be on my own there, and it might just be because Wolves are still in it. But um, <laughs> you know, in, a, in an otherwise bad season. But uh, no, I, yeah. I definitely agree. I mean, it might just mm. be because we're still in it. <laughs> we never have a cup. <laughs> yeah, it's something different. And even though we were playing Fulham today, and it's you never want to play someone from the same league, do you really? Because it doesn't feel special. But we had a nice big win. We're into the the next round we've got the winner of the Bournemouth Crawley game at home in the next round so that's winnable on paper we could be looking at quarter final place I think it's certainly seems to have caught the imagination of Burnley fans and uh, our new chairman has talked about wanting to have like the underdog story so I think if we can have a really good cup run on the back of beating Liverpool the other night which I'm sure we're going to come on to a bit later and that's really positive for us. So yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying the cup this season. It's it's a shame about the lack of fans, but we can say that about every game at the moment, can't we? Yeah, and I I totally agree that the appetite has gone up. I think it's because we get so uh, set in our patterns, especially in COVID life, that a weekend without any Premier League would be very panicking if there wasn't something <laughs> there to fill that void in us. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think I've definitely liked looking forward to it more and watching more of the matches instead of just like once or twice per weekend. So yeah, I'm, I'm also enjoying it a lot more. So I think it's a, a point well made there, Thomas. Uh, I figure we will wrap up the opening section by talking about Premier League managers. So obviously some of the bigger clubs not having the seasons that they would have wanted. Obviously City, Liverpool, well, City have very quickly caught up. but They started the season slow. Liverpool hitting the skids a little bit right now. Ole and was supposed to be terrible, and now he's top of the table. Frank was supposed to be amazing, and now he's all the way down in 10th. 
So just curious to get your guys' thoughts on, on the state of play right now with managers in the Premier League. Who do you think who's who do you think's the best? Who do you think isn't? <laughs> just where do you think people rank there? I think it's interesting. Obviously, if you asked most people, they'd probably put Klopp and Guardiola at the top. And that's fine because they've won all the titles recently. So it, it makes sense to do that. But I think when you're assessing managers, you have to look at a variety of factors. So you've got to think about budget is one of the most important factors. Teams essentially are usually ranked pretty much in order of budget in the Premier League. It's pretty depressing to look at it because then what's the point in watching hundreds of games a season? <laughs> but if you order teams by wage bill and transfer budget, and then compare it to the table at the end of the season, is normally quite similar. So teams that are overperforming on budget, their managers are obviously doing well. Expectation is the other one. What do the teams expect? Where have they come from? Has the manager taken them forward? So I think if you look at Klopp on those terms, he's outperforming Guardiola for me because Guardiola's come to City with the expectation they were going to win everything. They haven't really made any progress in Europe. Klopp's won the European Cup once, got to the final second time. So I think Klopp over Guardiola would be for me. Um, But I think there's lots of really good managers in the Premier League at the minute. Ones I'd want to talk about, Raf Hassan, Ralph Hassenhutl, even, mm. um, practice saying his name, really. So many clubs would sack their manager if they lost 9-1 or whatever it was at home to Leicester, 8-0. I can't remember the score. It was too big for my brain to be able to compute. But they kept him. They put faith in him. And now he's being touted as a replacement for Lampard at Chelsea. So I think he's been a real sign of patience and believing in your project, which is a word that I hate. Um and a manager I think is really underrated is David Moyes, actually. Um, he obviously had that awful time at Manchester United. The job was probably too big for him, but I would argue most managers following Alex Ferguson would have struggled. And they lost their chief executive, who did all the transfers and stuff at the same time. So I think it was almost impossible to succeed there. Um, obviously, he also struggled at Sunderland and in Spain. So... I think at West Ham, he's really rebuilt his reputation. And for them to be challenging for Europe, one point, two points behind Liverpool, I think he's doing an absolutely smashing job there. And for someone who has been talked of as a dinosaur who shouldn't be getting Premier League jobs just because he's old and British and they should go for sexy foreign managers with nice coats and haircuts, I think Moise is just proving that being experienced is a real benefit sometimes, knowing the league inside out, knowing how to get the best out of what you've got. I think Moyes really excels in, in those departments. So they're some of the managers I would highlight. Obviously, I'm biased, but I think Sean Dyche in some of the categories that I've talked about, budget, expectation, massively overperforms. To have a club like Burnley in the Premier League at all is magnificent. Two top 10 finishes in three years. I think if you're talking about teams that have overperformed, Dash has got to be up there on that basis. I, I love that same attitude, Jamie, that, you know, you've looked at, you know, managers, which, you know, normally people will go for the top managers. So I'm going to be boring and actually start with the top managers. And I actually think I, I have Pep over um, Klopp. I think this is a really big season for Klopp at Liverpool. I'm not saying his job's under threat, but actually the way things have gone for him this year, he looks to be a lot more stressed than he was last year. 
Um, and, you know, I'm not saying they're one season wonders because they were fantastic last season. You know, they pushed City to the title the season before, obviously won the European Cup and, you know, Klopp's had success in Europe more than Pep. But I, I, I just think, you know, Pep has got his team after what is a pretty poor season for them, um, you know, for, for a team like City last season. I think they look quite ominous this year, you know, in terms of, you know, some of the top sides do look a bit average this year. United have actually probably excelled more than most people thought. And and I think the jury's probably still a little bit out on, on Solskjaer at the moment, but he, he's done a good job because I actually didn't have him down to, to last till last Christmas, um, to be quite honest with you, or the Christmas before even as it was. So, um, but yeah, putting the top teams aside, I think Brendan Rodgers at Leicester City has done a fantastic job. You know, car- you know, picked them up from from where they were, and I'm not saying they were in a bad position, but he's actually carried on that mantle and actually put his own, um, you know, his, his his own thoughts on it, and and actually has got them challenging. You know, whatever people think, they're up there in third place, challenging for the title this year. Um, and yeah, they're former Premier League winners, but nobody. Nobody saw them as winning that title that year and, and nobody's really ever seen them as challengers ever since then. Uh, but he's actually got them sorted out. He did well at Celtic in, in, in you know, the Scottish Premiership, went as far as he could with them and he's come down, you know, back down to uh, to the Premier League and, he, and he's doing his stuff with Leicester. So I think a lot of his work goes under the radar a fair bit and, you know, seeing him in the top four this year, I know they, they sank quite late last year and, and dropped out of it, but, um, you know, they, they look fairly strong again this year. Um, another manager, I think you've already mentioned Hassan Hultzel. They stole my thunder on that one because I think he's been fantastic ever since they they got trounced at uh, at their own ground, and you know no team wants to see that. And I think I think it was right in saying that he offered his um, he, off, he offers his resignation after the game, and um, you know real real really good you know club management to actually decide to keep him, and um, you know they're they're actually you know looking in good shape now. Um, a club that doesn't generally spend a lot of money and you know has a budget and, and doing things the right way. I think one quick shout out also to um, Dean Smith at Villa because you know they're a team that what were they a point away from going down last season, and you know it's it's one thing to you know to get your team into the Premier League, it's another to to survive in there as as most of us will know. Um, but you know he left a. He left a really good job at Brentford. He did really well at Brentford. Look how they're doing now. And I'm not saying it's totally him, but he's at, he actually left that club in, in you know, very good, uh, very good position. Um, and he's done, he's done well with Villa. You know, they spent a bit of money in the summer, probably more so than a lot of the clubs in the probably bottom echelon of the Premier League. But they're actually looking good. You know, they've had some really good results this season, and they look to be, um, you know, very well run as a club. So. Um, yeah, that's another manager that's gone under the radar a little bit. And David Moyes as well. Yeah, like you mentioned, very, very good. He's done really well at West Ham. And after, you know, a lot of moans and groans by the West Ham faithful last season, you know, it's all gone very quiet on that front, isn't it? No, I think the guys have done most of the hard work answering that question. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, shout out to all the, the back from the dead managers, um, Arteta, Hassan Hootal, Smith and Moyes, managers that at different points have been written off and looked on the cusp of the sack. And now all looking good bets for, you know, top half finishes in the Premier League. And we'll, you know, more credit to them because it's a fickle game and um, managers are written off too quickly. Um, the manager's stock is higher than it probably should be at times. But, um, you know, so it's always good to see a, a comeback story like that. Um, the only manager who hasn't been mentioned, who I think has done an outstanding job, is uh, Bielsa at uh, Leeds. Only because, you know, you look at their position now, maybe 12th, but 
you know, team that have come up from the, the championship. I think they've been unlucky in a lot of their games not to have more points on the board. And if there's one team in the Premier League that I would want to watch, it's it's Leeds at the moment. And um, I don't think that's ever been true in the whole time I've been alive that I've ever thought, oh, there's a Leeds game on, I really want to watch that. Um, <laughs> they're, uh, they're a great watch just because they, they, they go all out, don't they? And um, that's what you want. I think they play some incredible football. Um, and I think there's the sense with me that, you know, Bielsa with, uh, you know, better players, no disrespect to Leeds, they've got some fantastic players, but I mean, top four calibre players, you know, he could really be, he could really mix it up with those managers. Um, you know, maybe he'll be found out in the long run, you know, the way he plays and the, the teams will find better solutions for coping with Leeds. I don't know. Um, but but they've been fantastic um, this year. Um, yeah. And I, I think other than that, I'm kind of looking up and down, not really seeing other people, people whose stock was high, you know, Chris Wilder's stock was high. Um, and, you know, he's gone the opposite mm. way now. I think um, people were talking about him alongside Klopp and Guardiola as being one of the best managers. And then now he's he, <laughs> he's got five points from 19 games. You know, it's uh, it's an incredible thing. You know, it's such a movable, changeable thing. And, uh, you know, our, our opinions will probably differ week to week if you asked us. You know, I don't think anyone would have been on here saying David Moyes is a great manager two months ago. Um mm. So that you know that just that's, tells you everything. That's that a really good point, and we haven't actually talked about Nuno. But the flip side is, three months ago maybe we would be talking about Nuno as one of the most consistent managers. But you have a bad injury like Raúl Jiménez and ruins your team. Your top strikers missing, and suddenly results aren't coming, and the manager isn't thought about as being one of the top ones. So sometimes it can be completely out of their control as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I'd go with that. Um, and it's the challenge they inherit and the, you know, what's going on at that football club at any one time. I mean, Arteta, I think everyone could see from the outside that Arsenal was a horrible job um, and someone had to go in there and sort it out. And they're having all those defeats and they were thinking he's going to, I'm just going to click on to BBC Sport and he's going to have been fired one of these mornings. But then suddenly they've got a load of results. They've got Ozil out of the club, which needed to happen. And you just start thinking mm, one or two players in. You know that they could be flying again soon, so it it, it just does change so quickly. Um, you know, so it's it's very difficult. But I think the the managers who are consistent, um, I think Brendan Rodgers is a great shout because he's always consistent. He always creates good teams. Wherever I'm trying to think of a job that he's had, was he at Watford for a short while and didn't go that well? But I think you know, if you're talking Liverpool, Celtic, Leicester, every Swansea. team he's been at, yeah, he makes teams that are good to watch. And he wins football matches. And and I would say he surpasses expectations a lot of the time. Very unlucky at Liverpool. I mean, it was just really players that kind of let him down in key moments that stopped him from being the one who brought the title back. So, you know, he's a, he's a top, top manager. Um, and I think he's, if you talk, you know, we're talking about it being a changeable feast, but consistency, you know, you, you do well to look beyond, beyond him. Yeah, we mentioned a lot of names, none of them Jose Mourinho. And I don't think you get to be in this conversation if you don't understand that we're weak from set pieces and then sit on one nil leads anyway. Um, We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, and we are back. Jamie, we will start off with you. You mentioned it uh, a little bit earlier, but we do have to talk about the Liverpool result, even though you've had a whole nother win since then. With loads more goals. But when a club like Burnley beats a club like Liverpool, the narrative immediately becomes... What did Liverpool do wrong? What's wrong with Liverpool? Why can't they score goals? I think we need to flip that script and talk about what Burnley did well. In your mind, what do you think Burnley did on the day to secure that win? I'm so glad you've done that because it's so galling when you support a smaller club and you get a result like that and all you hear is, Liverpool were rubbish. Liverpool yeah. can't score yeah. any goals. Liverpool were in crisis. Like, Burnley hadn't won at Anfield in 50 years. That's a big thing. <laughs> Can we get a little bit of credit, please? So, um, yeah, I think circumstances were set up for this kind of result. Um, Liverpool, again, like, I don't like all the talk about Liverpool's injury crisis because they still put a team of internationals out most weeks. Um, so, tough, really. You have a squad. It was their decision to let Dejan Lovren go, the best defender in the world, according to Lovren, not replace him. <laughs> so, <laughs> now they've got defensive injuries. You shouldn't have let Lovren go. That's that's not that's not anyone else's problem. You've brought that on yourself. So I think with the defenders they had missing, the fact they hadn't scored in two, three games before we played there, um, I think it was set up for us to do this kind of result, but it still pretty much comes out of nowhere when this happens. Um, but we almost won there last season. Johan Goodmanson hit the bar and we got a point. We were the only team to not lose in the league at Anfield last season. We got a draw there two, three years before that as well. So our record at Anfield in the last few years is probably better than just about anyone's. Obviously, Palace were the last team to to win there nearly four years ago. But we yeah. probably got more points at Anfield in the last four or five seasons than anyone. So it has come out of nowhere. But also, we should just play all our away games against Liverpool, I think, because we're clearly very good at them. Um I think defensive solidity is always at the heart of, of Burnley's biggest results. Liverpool might have been below par, but the way we set up meant that we asked them questions that they didn't have answers to. They delivered so many crosses into the box, which is stupid because that's exactly how we want to defend. We will mm. defend narrow and say, Trent Alexander-Arnold can have the ball as much as he wants. And although he's a fantastic crosser of the ball, we are going to defend those balls into the box because they don't really have anyone who's going to be a big threat from crosses. And he completed zero on the day. Yeah, exactly. So he's fantastic on the ball, but he doesn't really have a target in there. If you put Andy Carroll back into this Liverpool team with Trent Alexander-Arnold firing in the bullets, Andy Carroll would score about Hmm. 100 goals a season, in my opinion. Um, so I think tactically Liverpool didn't really have a plan B um, I think we created a lot of problems for them at the other end they seem to fall into the trap of Ashley Barnes winning cheap free kicks incredibly easily 
this is a guy who's most of his game is winning cheap free kicks and Liverpool has let him do it time and time again. And obviously Fabinho's made a mistake for the goal. Barnes has got round the back and Alisson's brought him down. So I think it our plan worked perfectly. People say that <coughs> excuse me, people say Dash is Burnley boring to watch. They just defend and then boot it long. But what do you want Burnley to do against Liverpool? Do you want us to be wide open and concede six goals? To their strikers. No, that's the only way we can get a result at a place like Anfield. And that's exactly what we did. I think the the way that tactics clash and mesh in the Premier League is one of the things that makes it great. I think to have teams that play in different ways is good for the league. And although sometimes I'd like Burnley to play more free-flowing attacking football, this is what works for us with the players we have. And we've done it time and time again. It's not it's not that unusual for us to beat the champions. We beat Man City a few years ago when they were the champions. We beat mm. Man United a few years ago when they were the champions. So we have a habit of doing this. Um, but yeah, Liverpool are in crisis. They can't score any goals. Bore off. <laughs> Sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, glad you finally got to speak your piece on, on how Burnley played in that match, which I literally heard nowhere. <laughs> I'm sure. And then I heard somebody call you Barnsley in the coverage. And I was just oh like, Oh my God. <laughs> oh. Right at the end of the game. Like, yeah. It so, so, happens so many times, but you go to Liverpool and win. And then two minutes later, the main guy on TV calls you Barnsley. Like, oh my God. <laughs> there were two teams out there. One of them won, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so tight. Ty- it's so tiresome, though, isn't it? it? Palace get exactly the same thing. We've won at Old Trafford for two seasons in a row. We- we've never done that two seasons in a row. Yeah, um, Palace and- weren't good. It was just United being bad because that's exactly the that- that's the only exactly. way that a big team can lose to a small team. Yeah, and in- and in this country, we seem to have a-, a a really big habit of actually not having you know, a representative on either the commentary or in the studio from both clubs. It's always very much one-sided. It's very rare that you have, you know, one person from each club, unless it's Liverpool, Man United, unless it's Arsenal, Tottenham or that kind of thing. So you started me off now. but <laughs> <laughs> No, I think those are all really good points. It's largely what led us to start this show is that we wanted to represent the viewpoints of every club that's in the Premier League instead of just always the top four. But yeah, it's it's uh, very annoying, even as a neutral, when that happens. And you're like, can yeah, you talk I mean, about the match? Because they won't even talk about the match afterwards. Exactly. They're just talking just about the teams and where they should be. Like, exactly. And one, one specific thing about the game was the penalty itself. It's as clear a penalty as you're ever going to see this season, right? And still, the next day, we had to have a full day of debate over whether or not it's a penalty. Oh my gosh. Alisson's come out, missed the ball completely, and took the striker. How can it not be a penalty? But because it's Burnley at Liverpool, we have to have this debate. Oh, was it a penalty? Was Liverpool a bit unlucky? No, it's a penalty. Shut up. <laughs> Accept the defeat. Go home. Yep. I think that's generally good advice for media. Stop doing the, is this right or wrong thing when it's already been decided. It's like, no, it was this thing. Get over it. Don't cater to the feelings of people that are just patentedly wrong all of the time. Outrage for clicks and and outrage clickbait. Yep, because then everybody will retweet it and be like, did you see this analysis from whoever? BT Sport about how it wasn't a penalty? And then, yeah. Let's not get too far down that path ourselves, though. Um, uh, Another uh, interesting thing that's happened at Burnley lately, obviously the takeover. I was just curious if there's been any developments publicly, if you know anything's going on internally, of just what's been going on since they've taken over. 
yeah, it's it's an unusual one. I think when it happened, people got carried away maybe straight away and thought we we're going to start spending lots of money signing lots of players, even though the new chairman basically came out and said that wasn't going to happen. Um, and we're on what day? I have no idea. 24, 24, 24th of January. It feels like January 127. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we haven't signed anyone yet. I think there's been minimal activity across the league, hasn't there? So Burnley are far from alone in not having signed anyone. Um, I think it's been tricky because the club has to be COVID compliant. So there was something about the chairman hasn't been able to get into the offices and stuff. And then he had to self-isolate because a member of his family had coronavirus. And then he got coronavirus. It's It's been a bit of a mess, really. Not ideal circumstances, probably, to take over a club. Um, but... He's recovered now. He was at Fulham today watching the FA Cup game. So hopefully we'll start to see some progress now. We've got, what, a week until the transfer window closes. I don't think we need to do a lot of business, but a couple of deals would be good. Um, The main thing really that's come out is the way that the takeover was financed. Um, And I'm not a football finance expert, so essentially I don't fully understand it, but I don't think the explanation has really been good enough. It seems to me that we've sold the clubs to someone who bought the club using the club's own money. It it doesn't make... I don't understand how you can like do Glazer that. Like Glazer style? Yeah, mm. exactly like Glazer style and how the first Liverpool Americans did it. Um, so people have asked questions about that. The answers haven't really been satisfactory. Um, there was a couple of reports in Bloomberg and The Athletic that sort of detailed how this had happened and the loans that had been done to, to finance the deal. I don't think anyone thought Alan Pace was this mega billionaire who was going to spend loads and loads of money, but he seems to be being a bit secretive and he hit out at these reports, but without actually giving the figures. So <laughs> I'm a little bit hesitant now, whereas before I was like, yay, American owners, brilliant, buy a cowboy hat. <laughs> so, I'm a little bit more, more hesitant now, but, I think we needed we needed fresh ideas. We needed a bit more impetus. The old owners have taken us as far as they could. They've done a fantastic job. Stabilised the club in the Premier League. Couldn't ask for more. But in order to push on, we needed something extra. So I think you have to maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. I would like to hear more about this, how the deal was financed, because I'm not really comfortable with it. But I think you just have to see how it plays out, really. Be careful with American owners, I'd say, because wow. we we that's not that's not derogatory to American fans too. Uh, owners. Yeah, I you know we've had American part owners for some time, and they've just lost complete interest in it. And you know, there's been a lot of rumours about them for trying trying to sell their stake for for quite a while now. Um, and you know, they're very wealthy American businessmen. They they own a couple of franchises in the states, you know, sports franchises, and it's it's not really worked out as as we perhaps would have hoped um but actually i i guess you know we're not doing too badly in 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 that respect in in being able to buy players but actually it's only really been the last couple of windows that we've been able to you know do some different moves in the transfer window and um you know rather than being sort of handcuffed in a way uh in that respect so it's 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 not been as good as we uh perhaps expected but um but yeah wish burnley wish burnley well hopefully it works out 
All right, uh, Jay will actually come to you now to talk about uh, Crystal Palace. You'd been interested in Jean-Philippe Mateta for a while. Uh, you finally mm. get your guy loan option to buy striker for like, what, three years now? We've just talked about when you're going to get in a striker, but you've done it multiple <laughs> times. Uh, obviously getting Bashuai and Jordan Ayew filling that role for a while. Zaha playing up front uh, for mm. stretches, but you have a striker in now. Was a highly touted one for a while there. Dipped a little bit towards the end of his time in Germany. But uh, how excited are you to have another striker in? And are you optimistic that uh, he'll hit the ground running? Fingers crossed. Yeah, I, I'm more concerned about Roy chucking him in straight away because he's he's very uh, he's very much like that. He'd rather you know give a player a bit of chance to you know to get on the training ground and uh, and show what he can do. But yeah, I'm excited by this one. You know, being a fan of the Bundesliga and and I've watched him uh, you know playing for Mainz. This year, you know, scored 10 goals, I think he has in, uh, you know, this season already. So, you know, he's a goal scorer. Um, as we've already seen before, that it doesn't always relate, you know, transfer across to the Premier League, you know, um, with, with some players. But, you know, we just need to learn to play to his strengths. And that's that's our biggest problem with Benteke, really. Um, in that, you know, we actually... Um, you know, we don't play to his strengths all the time. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, Mateta, we do exactly that. You know, if we've followed him for what's been almost three years and, you know, it's been on our list, then um, yeah, I hope that we do know how he plays and we can play to his strengths. I think the biggest thing about it is that actually this is one of two or three signings we've made since the summer, well, including the summer last year. And actually this is the first sign of Jan in January that is actually of a better age, brings our average age down a fair chunk you know we've got about 14 15 players um contracts up in the summer so it's going to be a fairly big overhaul but actually we're making the right moves bringing Eze in bringing uh, Mateta in and a few others uh, around the club is actually the you know the right thing to do um and actually not all at the same time so fingers crossed um I'm looking forward to seeing him playing for us and it does pose a question about our current strike forces strike force in terms of you know likes of Batshuayi is on loan from Chelsea that hasn't Hasn't really done anything at Palace. Not really had the chance to play. Um, Benteke had a had a little uh, uh, a little bit of good form um, until he got sent off unluckily at West Ham United. So I, you know, I feel for Benteke. I think a lot of fans want him to do well because he's a likable character and, and you know he works hard. But it, every time he comes back, he either gets injured or uh, sent off in the last season. Gets sent off against West Ham when he you know scored three goals in a, in a few games. So. Yeah, we've always struggled up front, other than Wilf, you know, being on fire this season. And, uh, you know, he seems to be our one striker. You know, he's playing that role more so now than playing out wide. Um, that hopefully can, um, you know, he, he can play his own game a little bit more with the likes of uh, Mateta up front. So looking forward to it. You kind of alluded to how you think it's going to work out there. You, you do think it's going to be just Mateta and Zaha up front, no, no chance to get shifted out wide again? I think so, yeah. I think Wilf has been very productive this year uh, playing in that role. He was in pre-season, whatever pre-season we had. We did actually have four pre-season games, luckily for us. Um, and, he, and he played in every one of those, scored goals pre-season, and he took that into, into the into season. He's currently on eight goals this season, and that's uh, he's turned out to be one of the most productive seasons he's had um, at the club. Um, actually, you know, having shots at goal more regularly rather than actually having the assists that he is used to get out wide. And we've got, you know, we've got players that can play out wide. We've got the likes of Eze, Townsend, you know, Ayu can play out wide. You know, he's 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 dropped off from last season, but he's not he's not the sole striker now. So, yeah, we've got a lot of options there. Um, and I think, you know, bringing in Mateta, you know, he he may not 
come into the side for a couple of a couple of games potentially. I, I believe we're waiting for international clearance on him. So, you know, but you know, this is a condensed season. You know, players are gonna make an appearances. You know, every every so often. And you know, it took Eze a couple of games at the start of the season, and then he's um, he's actually become uh, a regular after missing. I think he came on a sub in the first couple of games of the season. So I think that's what Roy generally does with his players. But you know, if we if we scouted him as long as we have done, it's rumored to have, to have done. Then you know, we should know how he fits into how we play at the moment. So yeah, I, I can see it being Mateta and and Zaha up front. Um, and again, that poses the question about the rest of the strikers of the club. Um, but let, let's face it, they haven't done their job and score goals, so you know you can't be too uh, too sorry for them. Gotcha. All right, uh, we'll come to you now, Thomas. Sorry, it looks like this uh, show is going to run a little bit long, but we don't have anywhere to be, and you probably don't either. Uh, but Thomas, I figure we should talk a little bit about Jimenez. We talked about him at the top of the show uh, in regards to the concussion protocols that are now finally coming into place. Uh, has there been any further word on when he might return to the pitch? I know he's been at least doing some team activity stuff since. Uh, not really. I, I think uh, every time Nuno's asked about it, he kind of suggests that he's a bit further along, but says we can't put a, a time limit on it. And I suppose it is one of those injuries where I don't even know how you begin to diagnose when someone's ready again. Um, because you'd imagine it's not just him physically being able to to get onto a football pitch. It's his willingness to to compete and be aggressive in his actions um, and, and do what, what he needs to do. So I I still feel like I'd be surprised if he played again this season. And the fact that we've moved to sign a, a senior striker suggests to me that, you know, it, it's not imminent. Um, so my, my feeling is that maybe if they can help it, he'll, um, you know, he'll be, he'll be, he'll be, you know, maybe the last couple of, you know, month, week, couple of weeks of the season, maybe, but I, I'm not expecting to see him back before then. Gotcha. Well, I, I guess that timetable or lack thereof makes sense because you've already made a couple of moves at that position. You've recalled uh, Patrick Cutrone, who you'd signed in, what, last January, then loaned out, then... Oh, I, hold on, let me redo that because I genuinely forgot the timetable, so I'm just going to allude to it rather than claiming I know. <laughs> yeah, and that timetable or lack thereof makes a lot of sense given you've already made two other moves at that position. You've decided to bring back Catrone after buying him and letting him go. Now you've brought him back. You've also uh, bought William Jose, who was a player that was looked at by a lot of clubs that were looking for a striker. He's not Portuguese, but he does speak it. So that's obviously a big help yeah. in getting a move to Wolves. Are you confident that one of those two can at least help carry you over to when Jimenez does come back? Uh, well, I'm, I'm more confident about uh, Will I Am, the new guy. I mean, the because he looks good, you know, the standard scrap for me. I, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of European football, you know, the same way that some of you guys sound like you are. But, you know, to scramble onto YouTube, <laughs> get the old montage going, see what he's about and, um, you know, forensically and an analysing, you know, how he plays. And he seems quite a similar player to, to Raul. So um, I'm, I've got good, I've got a good feeling about him and feel like he might be exactly what we've, we've missed. Um, as far as Catrone goes, um, from what we've seen, I just don't think he's the answer. We bought him at the start of last season. Um, he played second fiddle to, to Raul. Didn't really look up to it when he did get on the pitch. So we loaned him out on a two-year loan to Fiorentina. Fiorentina didn't rate him, sent him back. 
Um, and he hasn't looked that great in the, in the minutes that he's, he's played for us. You know, he didn't. He had a good chance against Chorley to, to show what he was about and, and do something. And he was pretty terrible in that game. Um, so I could I could actually see him going out again um, before the end of the month back to Italy. Um, I think there's there's a couple of clubs. I think Palmer have been linked with him. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if he if he went out and we just relied on Willian, Jose, and uh, Fabio. Um, you know, and, and Fabio, unfortunately, you know, we paid thirty five million pounds for him. That can't be brushed under the carpet. Uh, and he just he's not ready. He's not ready for the demands of senior football. He's uh, he's still got the body of a boy. Uh, he's not physically able to compete. You know, with with the big centre halves in the in the Premier League. So we really did have to enter the market. Uh, if Jimenez wasn't going to be back, so you know the fact they've moved to do that uh, tells you everything you need to know. But uh, but yeah, I think I think now uh, just to you know after we've had a really bad period of form, but I just feel just scraping through in the cup against Palace and then Chorley and then bringing in this striker, we might we might just be starting to turn a corner. Gotcha. Well, a lot of striker talk from us today. I forgot to mention uh, the Josh King Vidra stuff with Jamie, but maybe we'll discuss that if and when that winds up happening but uh, we've run a little bit long so we can just stop here but if you guys would like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on now would be a good time uh yeah always a pleasure if you've managed to listen to the more than an hour of us then you deserve some sort of medal (laughs) (laughs) Um, if you want more of my fire takes on football you can get me on twitter i'm at jamie smith sport yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay. I'm a Palace fan and I run the Eagles Beak, which you can get on our website, theeaglesbeak.com. And we're all across socials at the Eagles Beak. I'm also presenter and uh, producer of the Meridian Sports Show, a local community radio show, which uh, which is actually off air at the moment due to uh, community radio protocols, unfortunately. But uh, we'll be back at some point. You can get me there at the Meridian SS. Yeah, good chatting as always, guys. Uh, if you want to discuss anything Wolves-related or Premier League-related, you can hop on over to uh, wolvesblog.com. Uh, there's plenty of articles there to leave comments on. Or you can uh, send me a tweet uh, at wolvesblog. Awesome. Well, thanks to you guys so much for coming on and staying with us a little bit long. It was a pleasure as always. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.